I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. Today on the show, we have Isabel Malinich. This podcast is all about basically me jumping on and having conversations with people who I think have cool backgrounds, who've done interesting things from a wide range of different careers, so that I can hear the stories, figure out what, why they do what they do, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, and then hopefully for the audience, like, they can hear those stories and maybe get inspiration, hear a job and say, oh, I like that. Or hear about somebody living somewhere and go, oh, that sounds cool. I want to do that too. And I really enjoyed this conversation that I had with Isabel today because I think she's had an interesting background and one that I haven't really explored much yet through the 40 odd conversations I've had so far on this podcast. So Isabel has over 20 years experience working in, in HR. And now she actually runs two businesses herself. So not one, but two. She lives in Spain where she runs these businesses. One of them is focused on coaching and supporting leaders in top organizations. And then the other one is actually focused on helping people to improve their sleep. And so on this episode, you're gonna hear about Isabel's leadership advice for people in their 20s and 30s. I wanted to pick her brains on, hey, if you're, if you're in your 20s and your 30s and you're considering being a leader, considering that you've worked with all these top people, like what should we be thinking about? What sort of skills should we be thinking about developing? And she had some really, really helpful advice there, but also advice for like, hey, before you do that, think about whether you really want to be a leader or not. And she had some great ways and exercises to think about that. Talk about what she's learned from over 20 years in HR, what she liked about it, what she didn't like about it. And um, she's worked everywhere from, you know, big banks in London to game development companies in Barcelona. So very, very different environments. And if you have any interest in HR, understanding people, I would recommend kind of tuning into this part and seeing if it's something that you might want to explore. Isabel has a background in anthropology, which is really interesting. So she's very, very interested in people and how people behave and what drives their behavior. Um, we also talk about why she left her permanent job four years ago to start her own businesses, what her day looks like now, and quite a lot of detail actually, and the pros and cons of that versus when she used to be in full-time job. So if you're ever thinking about leaving a full-time job, trying to understand what are the pros and cons of that, going out and starting your own thing, give this one a listen. And then of course we talk about sleep. It's something she's super passionate about. You might know a lot about sleep. You might say, Steve, why does this matter? This is supposed to be a podcast about jobs and careers and figuring out what you want to do. And yeah, it is. But do you know what? Sleep is actually kind of interesting too. Um, Isabel knows a lot about it. So I was not going to give up this opportunity to get her view and what are the main things that we should be thinking about when it comes to improving our sleep. And lastly, we talk about some of the things that she does to find joy and meaning in her, in her life. We talk a lot about jobs. Jobs are a big part of creating a good life for ourselves, one that we enjoy. We spend a lot of time at work. It's important. Don't get me wrong. But we spend a lot of time outside of work too. And I'm always looking to understand what do people do outside of their work in their free time? that gives them that sense of satisfaction and meaning. And Isabel tells me some of the things that she does. So it's a cool conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you want more of this kind of content, go and follow me on Instagram at the Two Roads Pod and on LinkedIn. You can get me at Steve Duke. I post pretty much every day. And similar kind of vibes, right? All about helping you to understand what kind of job and life will make you happy. But for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with Isabel Malich. Let's get into it. Shout out to all the motherfuckers that don't give a fuck about us. Now we here, all right? Yeah.
Isabel, when you were a kid, was there anything that you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, there was... Um... It was a bit of a ridiculous one, though, actually. I'm a bit embarrassed to talk about it, but I actually wanted to be a fire engine. I always thought that being a fire engine was much more fun than being a fireman. And it's probably the least likely thing I would ever do. But when I was really young, that's what I dreamt about. Um, But I think my experience in youth, um, I was actually born and raised in Papua New Guinea, uh, which is not something many people know about me. Um, but it was a really interesting upbringing. It was very multicultural. And I think that started something in me. I then went on to do anthropology at at University College London. And that started in me or planted a seed, let's say, of an interest in in humanity in general. Um, I was lucky enough uh, to be able to do a course that allowed me to look at both nature and nurture of human evolution and I think that as well was very interesting so social anthropology etc but I think the seeds started apart from the fire engine which was definitely a a dream for many many years in my in my youth I started um I I started to the the seed was planted around uh the interest in people uh, very early on because you're growing up in this really multicultural society is that it yeah, exactly. And my fr- my parents were there for over 20 years. So we had lots of um, friends or they had lots of friends that were involved. There are anthropologists uh, that were involved in understanding <clears throat> the kind of social evolution in Papua New Guinea. But also I went to a school where we had over 35 different nationalities. And so that kind of cultural um, diversity was also really interesting to me. Um and just got me interested in in human humans, I guess, in people generally. Um, and I I think that's where it all started, where I can kind of pinpoint a a place where my interest in people started. Yeah, right. Because now, obviously, you run a couple of businesses that are still very closely tied to this idea of of people and how they operate and what drives their behaviour. So um, maybe tell people a little bit about what it is that you do now from the two businesses that you run. So the first business I set up four years, it's uh, yeah, it's about four years old now. I set it at, at the beginning, literally almost to the day of the, the start of COVID here in Spain where I live. And um, that was that's really focusing on a number of areas, but really uh, around leadership and people growth and development. So I'm looking and supporting leaders, uh, typically leaders, but it doesn't always uh, fall that way, in helping them understand uh, their limiting beliefs, helping them understand how to be uh, authentic and true leaders, um, but also build the skills of leadership, because some of these things are just skills based um, and not just attitude um, and behaviors. So that business has been going for four years it's been really really a pleasure to work with people um, from all over the world actually i've had clients um, all over the world including in australia where you are and um uh it was a continuation of a career that i'd started in 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 human resources and people management the second business is called the sleepy armadillo and that i started nearly two years ago I, um, I've had a deep interest in sleep due to, and we can perhaps go into this a bit later, but due to my own personal experiences of working in a, a, in a city job in London prior to moving to Barcelona and uh, experiencing massive burnout, which uh, manifested in, in panic attacks 
Uh, and so it really started then, and that was about 15 years ago. Um, but what I didn't realize is that seed had been planted to try to figure out really what was going on in terms of my sleep. Um, so I retrained and set up um, the Sleepy Armadillo. And in that business, I work with adults who are experiencing um, disturbed or chronic sleep issues, including insomnia, um, and to help them restore uh, refreshing sleep over time. It's a sleep coaching business. And, and what that means is that I try to meet people where they are. So it's not just pushing information. We work together to create a plan that is um, viable for them to be able to restore their sleep. Mm. So I want to talk about both of these and I definitely want to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your journey with sleep, but I also have some like questions that I want to ask myself because I've probably had my own journey with sleep and I'm sure a lot of people listening um, have had too, but I'm interested on in the first part, right? So you have, you've what, you've like over 20 years experience working in HR and across like a mixed organizations, isn't it? Something like that. Correct. It? Yeah. So I started off in London, almost like, let's say this, it's a story of two parts. So the London part was uh, Accenture, Lloyd's, you know, um, very kind of corporate London life. Um, and then transitioning when I moved to Barcelona 10 years ago into technology, video gaming um, and data, uh, data, data privacy businesses. So it was very much, um, yeah, story of two halves, I guess. Uh, quite different <laughs> well i always think people are people right uh but they're different though well like imagine i imagine like a lloyd's banker versus like a game developer you know have uh, sure they're both people but like they've got very different set of um motivations or traits or behaviors no yeah yeah definitely i mean they there's definitely some differences but i think some of the challenges that they face are not dissimilar. So, you know, again, the ideas of how to how to find their leadership voice, for example, how to create and lead a cohesive team. Um, I mean, these are not uncommon challenges for leaders across different businesses. I mean, the, the, the context is extremely different. So working in a big retail bank in the UK, I mean, it's very stable, let's say, and very structured, but extremely complex in terms of how to build and influence and design and deliver work. In a startup video game company, you've got, you know, you're building the bridge as you're walking across it. And uh, there's very little structure and lots of ambiguity. Um, so the context, I think, that you're operating in is very, very different. And sure, you know, the person that chooses to work maybe in a, in a more structured environment may look a little bit different from the person that chooses to work in a, in a startup or scale up. But I feel like often the challenges that they face are not dissimilar. Mm. And so say there's somebody, because there'll be people listening to this podcast, right, who are like in their 20s, who are working in maybe those types of companies, whether it's like a larger professional company, like a consulting firm or a bank, or also be people who are in startups and, um, and maybe they're not at that like leadership level yet. Right. Or maybe they're just starting to manage like smaller teams, but um, are there any kind of like consistent lessons that you've learned about leadership that would be helpful for those people kind of, you know, earlier on in their careers as they think of to start to become a leader, to start to like 
develop those capabilities? Are they kind of, and I know with that it's going to be incredibly context dependent, but are there any kind of like consistent things or a framework that you kind of say, hey, you got to be thinking about, you know, these core skills and like how you're going to develop those if you want to be a leader in an organization? Yeah, I mean, well, one of the first questions, and that sounds a bit basic, is just to really ask yourself, what do you really want? Um, because I think there's a, in, in some businesses and in some societies, I guess, there's an expectation that leadership is is the one career path that will, you know, help you progress. And, well, we know that that's not true in many startup and, you know, technology businesses. We know that there's a huge value placed on individual contributors, and that's definitely a career path that you can find. But what we tend to see in the more traditional ones is that there tends to be that, you know, you have to jump to the leadership career track or nothing, or you kind of plateau in your career. And and so, and and leader, some leadership skills can be taught, absolutely. But I do think often, unfortunately, we still see leaders being uh, appointed, if you like, or promoted, where they've not really got the interest in leading, um, nor do they have the attitude to lead others. And so I think just asking yourself the question, are you doing this, you know, because you feel that that's the only option, or are you doing this because you really want to lead? And, And, you know, leadership is not about hierarchy or power. It's about, it's a privilege and, and quite frankly, a huge responsibility because I think we will have all experienced that um, bad leader, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, or perhaps, I mean, guaranteed you will experience it if you have not already, uh, that leader that really drags you down, that you dread having one-to-ones with, that is, um, you know, is, is really a difficult person uh, and a poor leader and you know that has an impact has a massive impact on the degree to which you engage with the job and you know it's a cliche but people do leave managers rather than businesses uh, and people join because of great leaders as well 100% i think that's very true in my own career um but when you talk about like leadership do you always mean management you know because it like it feels like i'm i'm starting to wonder like can somebody become a leader without that direct responsibility of like managing people yeah, that's a great question. And I think uh, the two are not exclusive. Absolutely. I use the word leadership, actually, in a really broad sense. So I, I use it to, in terms of obviously, the obvious one, which will be people leadership. Um, the word manager, it's just a personal thing, but I, I feel like it feels very operational to me. And when we're looking at um, developing the skills and tapping into the potential of leadership, it, it's broader than just operation, you know, managing someone's absence, that sort of thing. Um, so, so yes, obviously the first one is people leadership. I think there's thought leadership, um, which I think is also really important. And you have obviously some career tracks, some career paths where you are a for example, a product manager, you're leading a product, um, but not always in some businesses leading the people within that. So that's a you know a classic matrix matrix structure that we find in many tech businesses. Um, so I do think there's many different types of leadership, and perhaps that's the next question is to figuring out what kind of leader you want to be. 
uh, because those require quite different sets of uh, skills and capabilities as well in terms of what you need to focus and develop. Yeah, and I'm wondering, um, and this is kind of from my own experience, right? It's like if you've got somebody who's who's ambitious and you're saying, hey, you need to figure out whether you want to be, you really want to be a leader or not. I think that person is going to find it very difficult to tell themselves that they don't want to be a leader and that, you know, actually managing people and having that responsibility is is not for them. Um, because it's very easy to become very focused on like just wanting the progression and thinking, well, this is just part of it, right? If I, if I want to progress, I'm going to have to manage people. Um, and it's perhaps difficult to be honest with yourself about whether you actually enjoy that thing or not i'm talking very much from my own experience in this so like is there any kind of deeper level or kind of things that people can think about to understand if this is actually what they want yeah um that's a good question um i think one of you know and this is like like i said there's some parts of leadership that i think that i believe are skills-based and you can learn things like tools and techniques on how to give feedback, um, tools and techniques on how to do goal setting, you know, all of those things. So skills-based learning, which I think, you know, given the right context, every person can learn. Um, and this is not to say that I don't believe everyone can be a leader, but I, I think some of the natural propensities are that you actually uh, have a core belief in, a, in what I call the growth mindset, or not, I only call it this, but this growth mindset. <laughs> I wish I could say I, I developed this concept, but unfortunately not. Someone beat me to it. Um, but this idea and this belief that people have the capacity to learn and grow and that your intelligence and skills are not uh, fixed um, and that through grit, as Carol Dweck always talks about, and, and through hard work and perseverance and feedback and trying and trial and error, that you're then able to, um, to reach your goals. And I think that is a mindset, right? That's, that's more of a mindset than actually, um, you know, learning how to give feedback, right? So, so that's one of the things is, you know, to ask yourself, do I, do I essentially believe in people, individuals' potential to grow? Um, and that people have the ability to change and develop and reach their potential. Um, and I think that's a that's a, a good question to start with. Um, uh, so so that would be one. I think the second I would say would be uh, it's another mindset and attitude, which is um, a belief that you are, are never quite the finished product as well. So this is one of the things that perhaps I. Um, have come across sometimes with some senior leaders where they sort of feel that they're the final finished product. And <clears throat> sorry, there's a, a humbleness that should come, I believe, with leadership, which is uh, this desire to continually learn, to continually push what's what you know, and to continually uh, be a better leader. And that, again, is a mindset more than a more than a skill, right? So um, now that mindset you can apply to individual contributors <clears throat> as well. Um, however, um, I think it is really important with leaders because we want our leaders to grow as much as we want the team to grow. Um, and there is no uh, uh, sort of end line. There's no, you know, great reward at the end. It's continually evolving. 
I've been doing a lot of research about strengths and the role of strengths in in our job and related to our job satisfaction. So I think there's a lot of research that suggests that, you know, if you do something that you're good at, you tend to have higher job satisfaction because one, it just feels better, right? You're not like struggling and languishing at that thing. And you can probably fall into flow a bit more often, but also when you're good at something, it kind of gives you the ability to like negotiate for other things, whether that's like salary or benefits or, you know, other perks within your, your job or whatever you're doing. And I talk to a lot of people who are kind of earlier on and early on in their career, right? And trying to figure out what it is they want to do. And I'm in the middle of a program right now, which is called Divergence, which is about exactly helping people figure that out. And we talk about strengths. And I'm kind of, you know, I help people to try and separate the idea of we've got learned strengths, right? Which is, you know, you can go and you can learn how to give feedback or you can learn how to do Excel. And then you probably got like, you know, natural strengths or things that you just have like some sort of a natural capability for because what's important is you know yes that you're doing something that you're good at but you may not be good at it now but it's because you haven't learned that capability you haven't learned that skill you might have somebody who would be an amazing code amazing coder but if they haven't learned how to code they're not going to be able to code right but if you have like a natural propensity for un- for coding right? If you have a natural propensity to kind of think logically and be able to like, you know, have a basic, you know, decent understanding of mathematics and that kind of thing, then it will be a really interesting area for you to spend your time. See, can you develop this like learned strength? Um, But, you know, this is kind of just how I'm thinking about it and what I've learned from some of the research out there. But like, I'm interested to hear, like, how do you think about separating those kind of strengths apart so that people can understand, okay, I can't do that thing now, but let me learn what I have natural propensity for so that I can go and explore that area and see what I may become good at. Like, is that something that you think about? Absolutely. So, I mean, there are, it's interesting that you say about the kind of um, propensity and natural, natural ability and things like that. I mean, obviously I do believe in that. I know um, that that's an important part, an important factor in understanding where to point your, you know, career arrow, so to speak. Um, uh, I do believe, though, that most things can be learned and can be improved. Um, but that's not to say that, and this is something I, I talk about with some some of my leaders when I'm doing coaching, which is, that it's very rare and actually I'm not even sure it even exists or that we should aim for it. It's this perfectly rounded leader, right, that's brilliant at everything. Um, Often when you see great leaders, and we've probably hopefully all experienced that first, you know, up close and personal, they tend to be quite spiky. And by by that I mean is they're really, really strong in one area and, and possibly quite weak uh, or developmental let's say in another area and but what they're good at is is understanding that so they and that's the difference between you know someone that's self-aware and someone that's not and I think to your point I think it's great in your program that you're taking the opportunity to to build that self-awareness because whether you decide to become a leader or uh, go up an individual contributor um, career path the the level of self-awareness that you can have over not just your strengths, actually, but this is a, another area that perhaps um, you look at as well, is, 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 is um, 
your values. And what I mean by that is what's really important to you, because um, I've definitely been at different stages in my career and probably your listeners will um, at different stages, perhaps this is why they're listening now. When you're working in an in a context, uh, either the role, the team, the manager, or the business themselves, uh, that's not in line with your values, and I don't mean you know 100% tick box exercise, but it feels like you're walking in treacle, you know, <laughs> um, and that's just really hard, uh, and that's where you often get burnout. Um, so perhaps that's also an, uh, like a, a, a lens by which to, to think about like the next step, which is, or perhaps the current step, like to what extent is it in line with your values? And what I mean by values is what's important to you. Mm, yeah, 100%. That's like one of the, actually the first things we do in the program is like trying to understand what's important to you because I completely agree. I think like, you know, you could have the absolute best job in paper, um you know making great money with great perks whatever else it is but if it like clashes with something that like you deeply believe is important to you i think that analogy of like walking through treacle is is great honestly it, it probably it's probably even worse than that right it's like treacle but like you know being shot at at the same time or something but um but i know i know what you mean um but yeah i think i remember when i was at mckinsey just to finish off that conversation about strengths in one of the first years we would have these trainings right like every couple of weeks and we'd go into the office in london on a friday and one of the things was about strengths and they told me about this concept which like really blew my mind which is exactly what you're talking about which is like this idea of spikiness and what they were talking about was that actually if you think about you know your everything that you have to do at work right let's just say there's 10 things to make it simple and there's three things that you're great at you know, let's say four things that you're okay at and three things that you're really awful at. They're like, you're going to get the biggest return by taking the three things that you're great at and becoming like world-class at them. And so they were like, that's where you should spend your efforts. And I was like, what? Like, you're okay with me being terrible at these three things? And they were like, well, you're going to get much better return by just becoming amazing at those three. And they were like, look, you need to make sure that those terrible three aren't below a threshold that's going to make you dysfunctional like you have to get them up to at least a minimum bar but after that you know what don't worry about pushing the money further and and all a lot of their development was around doing that so if you became really good at the analytical side of work they would put you on more analytical work they'd be like okay go do this harder project you know really develop that as like a core spike for you and it was a very very different way of thinking and i think it's obviously that's true but then also like as you get older you you realize you can like delegate the other stuff right especially like if you're running your own business or if you're building a team whatever you say hey i'm terrible at that thing i have the self-awareness to know that i'm terrible at it and i'm just going to get somebody else to do it for me and i'm going to focus on the stuff that i'm good at and and hopefully the person who's doing the terrible things they're actually really good at (laughs) exactly (laughs) absolutely and, and I think, you know, how you then, if, if you are a leader, how you then um, populate and build that team is a reflection of that, right? So you, you get the, the people, like you say, that plug the holes so that the team itself is really high performing and cohesive. Yeah, I like that. Um, 
you know, we started talking off about like the two businesses that you run at the minute. Um, you started the first one, you're saying almost four years ago to the day, but when we, before we started recording, you're saying that you would have been thinking about it for like nearly 10 years, right? What was it that, you know, eventually made you say, okay, I'm going to go and take this leap. I'm going to leave my full-time job and I'm going to start this thing and, and, and go and have a crack at this. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, um, it was a number of things, but I felt that I'd reached a point in my HR career that I'd done a lot of, uh, I mean, it had been long and broad, let's say, or deep and broad my HR career, um, because I had moved in countries, I'd moved industries, as I said, from very structured, large businesses to tech and video gaming. I had um, moved from uh, UK-based businesses to very, very multicultural businesses. And I had, you know, moved up quite quite senior. I was on the executive team of, of my last business. So um, I felt like it was the right time to be able to leverage all that experience. And as well, um, there was a particular area in HR that had always drawn me and if anyone uh is is uh, sort of interested you would see from my my experience that it's been a combination and it's quite rare in hr because most people become kind of quite specialists either in business partnering or in compensation learning development so i've actually moved from one to the other quite a lot and um the reason I've done that is because I believe actually in the kind of full spectrum of, of human resources and and the and the people offering. Um, but as I became more senior in HR, I moved away from essentially how um, and particularly as businesses grow, this kind of one to one coaching that I love to do, uh, where I see the growth over a period of time of an individual and help them and facilitate their change, whether it be a leader or in my life coaching business, et cetera. Um, so I think that was the main trigger is that I felt like it was a little bit, perhaps the, the values piece, as you say, <clears throat> as we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, what's really important to me and how can I, how can I create a life that, um, that really reflects that my business life? Um, I also, and this is a, this big false, uh, sort of dirty secret, I think of owning your own business. I think people, and I thought that I would have better work-life balance. <laughs> and honestly, I think it's almost the opposite. I mean, I've worked tirelessly for other businesses and I'm, you know, a very, very committed worker, uh, both in what, how, and my approach to work, but in terms of when you own your own business, you certainly don't have the work-life balance that I think. I don't know if this has been your experience, Steve. 100. So I was just thinking, I started, it's now 10 to 8 in the evening. Um, I started work at 6.30 this morning. <laughs> I'm still going. <laughs> um, so, yep, that's been, it is, I'll tell you what, though, for me, it's not about the hours at all. I still much prefer this from a work-life balance because it's I have so much more control over where where and how I spend my time. And also, it just feels different to me when I'm building something for myself. I don't. I just don't mind it. Like I'll even do like tasks that would have been tedious, and I would have hated doing when I was working for somebody else. But like when it's for my own thing. 
I don't know why it just I don't mind it it's because I'm contributing I, I feel like I'm kind of building something building my own thing um, and so that's been a really interesting kind of insight for me is to notice that it's not necessarily about the specifics of you know the hours you work or necessarily always what you're doing sometimes it just feels different when you're doing it in a different circumstance um, and so that's definitely been been my experience but I'm interested um what you know if you look kind of at your life in general right and like you're kind of running these two businesses you might have people who are in a situation where they're in a full-time job they might have considered running their own thing like how does your life look look different and like what's what's better about it um and what's you know perhaps maybe not worse what's worse about it than than it used to be yeah yeah, no, absolutely. There's definitely, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be continuing to do it if I didn't love it. Um, I just think there's this, this like people say to me, oh, I want better work-life biz- biz- uh, balance. So I want to start my own business. And I sort of giggle to myself thinking, and 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 it's because it's, it's your own thing that I think it becomes all-consuming, right? So it's very difficult to switch off. And, and, and because of that, you're in flow, and the time just passes and, and for all the right reasons. But, you know, at least for me, it's never been, uh, I've never kind of seen that work-life balance, partly because I think in the early years, particularly until you've got things stabilized, you kind of chase every every lead, right? Because, and you don't give yourself a holiday because, you know, you might miss out on work and things like that. So there's just kind of like, there's just some, um some basics there i think um but but after a while things do stabilize and you get you know regular revenue streams and things like that um so in terms of the things that i love well i mean you know if you had asked me i don't know four years before um to look at my day today for example uh, I would have been, you know, overwhelmed with joy to see, you know, what I've got um, planned for the day. You know, it really is like um, so much closer, I think, at this point to where to what I want to be doing, working with businesses, helping at an organizational level, but also at an individual level, obviously one side of the business. And then the second part of the business is the sleep uh, is the sleep coaching, which I mean, is. So so it's almost intimate. (laughs) I have an intimate and very personal relationship with that. And, um, you know, that's kind of, I guess, more my heart. uh, And the other is my head, perhaps. So it's lovely to have both of those sides of of, of my business. So, you know, that that has to be the, the thing. So, you know, because working for yourself and creating something is hard. Um, so you need to have, at least I've always had to have uh, that passion and desire and love and seeing the impact of what I do. Um, and, and helping businesses and individuals grow and helping people sleep better. It's just a real joy <laughs> uh, and the feedback that I get, etc. So that is definitely, um, a plus. I would say you're right about the control. Um, and, but I would qualify that because, uh, you could argue you have many bosses when you have many clients <laughs> and not just one. Um, uh, but again, I think that's changes as your business matures and it's perhaps you mature. Uh, and I don't mean that in an age way. I don't know. I mean that as a confidence way. 
um, in a in a in a kind of confident about who you are because I think um, one of the challenges in the early days um, is this kind of imposter syndrome, um, which a lot of people do experience, but I think doubles or triples when you go it alone. I don't know if you've got mm. a, a a view on that. I have. I've always wondered if I've experienced imposter syndrome to which makes me think that I probably haven't, right? One of the things I struggle with is like when the idea of like doubt creeps in. So some days I'm like, this is the best idea ever. I'm going to smash this thing. I've, I've very much confidence in my own abilities to make something work. But the doubt is like, oh my God, nobody's going to want this, you know? And that creeps in. And for me, the challenge is to know sometimes... It's just irrational doubt that's telling you, hey, what if it doesn't work out and all that kind of thing? And that should be ignored, right? Sometimes it's legitimate, which says, hey, maybe this isn't a great idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and trying to separate those two things is really, really difficult because if you want to do anything on your own, 95% of the time, you actually just have to shut down that voice of doubt because it'll always be there, even for your best ideas. But sometimes it's actually, you know, trying to tell you something important as well. And so that's a little bit what I struggle with. I was walking back from um, from getting a coffee today and I was thinking about this, this kind of idea of doubt crept up. And I've gotten very used to just like kicking it to the curb. But then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have kicked that thought to the curb. Maybe that was actually a helpful <laughs> question. Yeah, <you> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, feedback's a gift. It's your mind giving you feedback. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice way to. I mean, I I think mine went beyond doubt. Um, certainly in the early days, uh, just like well, I, I like many people. I think I uh, have you know I suffer from let's say uh, self limiting beliefs, which is essentially what imposter syndrome is. Right, that feeling that. Am I good enough? How did I get here? Was it, you know, just luck and all of those types of things? And that those are really common, uh, really, really common beliefs. And, um, you know, learning to be able to um, accept those and almost just kind of accept that that's part of the human condition. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the thoughts are true, I think is a really important um, step forward. And so uh, those thoughts came up. They came up in triplicate, I would say, at the beginning, because even though I was fairly senior, I'd been, you know, successful in my career, um, now you're the product, essentially, and you're the person, you know, what makes me different? Why would someone work with me as opposed to, person be and it's me that's the makes the difference um it's not you know am i inventing some new way of giving feedback no it's the way that i'm delivering it it's the connection that i have with people it's the experience and things like that so sort of sitting in that confidence was quite was it was like not something i'd ever had to really do because you always have the protection of the business or the team behind you and suddenly you're like, you feel naked. <laughs> and uh, that's quite scary. So, uh, and I think this fear, and I don't want to over-engineer it, uh, certainly not to put anyone off 
um, but it's a legitimate concern. But you know, there are ways absolutely to 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 um, to overcome that. It, it often is what stops people taking that first step, not just in the early days of taking that first step. Honestly, I didn't even have it before. <laughs> And then I was like quite shocked when I got it. I didn't have it before at all. I had absolutely no doubt that I would be successful uh, and that I could do it. I, I don't know whether that was yeah, misguided belief, but um, but it hit me really bad when I first started in the first six months. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I think in, like my own experience with these kinds of things has been like what you've talked about just there about like acceptance of it. Um, because like when whether it's doubt or fear these kind of things when they crop up from me my initial reaction or maybe like a few years ago would have been to just try and like really quickly shut them down because like no get that out of there i don't want to entertain that you know i'll be over here in my kind of safe box um but actually you know a guy that i've kind of listened to a lot about high performance and mindset is Dan Carter, like the rugby player. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's, he, he's some really interesting stuff on it. And when he, he talks a lot about pressure, um, he's played for the all blacks and he's like, you so much pressure. Like he was the best player in the world playing rugby for the all blacks and everything is about rugby. Um, and he has this kind of saying, which is probably not even his own, but he was like, pressure is a privilege. And this idea, like if you're feeling pressure it's be, or, or, or fear, it's, it's because you're in, you know, a zone where there's expectations of you. And what does that mean? Like that, that's, that's a good thing, right? Imagine you were somewhere or you were someone where absolutely nothing was expected of you. Right? <laughs> yeah. That'd be a very, very different situation. And I know which yeah. one I'd rather be in. Right. Yeah. And just being like, oh yeah, like I feel under pressure. Or, you know, I'm feeling a lot of doubt about this thing, but do you know what? That's maybe I'll just sit with this. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's a signal that I'm actually doing something important or I'm actually trying to push myself and not just sitting in my comfort zone, which is sometimes nice. Um, so what do we want to talk about? I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about um, your, uh, your, your day, because you're saying that, that when you look at like the day that you have and you want, if you were to go back a few years ago, you'd say, oh my God, this is like a dream day. Um, what is that day? What's happening for you on, on this Wednesday in November? Yeah, so um, it's a real combination because of this like dual businesses that I run. Things are, it, it's not like, not every day is the same. And I think that's another benefit, I would say. Um, uh, but I also... Um, and this is kind of a more holistic approach, I um, track or follow my energy. So I am um, a really strong morning person. I get up naturally without an alarm every day at the same time. I also go to bed quite early, <laughs> embarrassingly early uh, most days, but um, <laughs> about 10, <laughs> 10. Yeah, people are just having their dinner. My neighbours upstairs are having their dinner <laughs> and I'm creeping into bed sheepishly. Um, so, yeah, I, I but, but what I mean by that is, and this is something that I use in, with some of my clients, depending on what their needs are, but it's actually, you know, I mean, you don't have to be an extreme morning or evening person, but we have dips of uh, energy or we have ebbs and flows of energy. And like one of the most, 
common mistakes people make is they get into the office or whatever, and then they start to, and, and perhaps they're most energetic and more creative in the morning and they do their emails, right? And it's like, you're just wasting all that brilliant energy and creativity and innovation. So I, st I tick stick all my admin at the end of the day. In the beginning of the day, I'm with clients, either with clients. So one-to-one -one coaching, either sleep coaching or business coaching. I'm, uh, for example, today I'm going to be doing some design work um, where I've got to be designing some workshops for sleep, uh, for sleep coaching, uh, for group sleep coaching. Um, I'll often, a lot of the work I do is about design as well as delivery. So I do, for example, working with businesses on how to redesign their performance management approach. That's on the HR consulting side, or for example, um, I would be working with, uh, for example, I have a client in Berlin at the moment, and we're working on how to um, create a leadership program for their quite small business, which will help their, their kind of newly promoted leaders to become, you know, bigger, uh, like more effective leaders as they scale up. So like really different challenges over the course of one day uh, and really different. But I tend to stack those uh, more challenging tasks in the morning. I delay. Um, oh, sorry. I go to I do sport every morning that like for me, that's also really um, important. So mobility, sport, respiration, breathing and things like that. Um, and then. I do. Well, I, I train. I'm kind of weightlifting training in the gym, but also I do CrossFit. Um, but I'm just, I've had like five operations, not from CrossFit. Um, but, um, and so I've got to be a bit careful about how I treat my body. Uh, so, and <laughs> CrossFit can be quite challenging. So it's a combination, mostly strength-based uh, based, uh, work. So, um, so yeah, anyway, so I stack all my stuff, hard stuff for the morning. I delay my lunch till about four and I try to eat the, uh, my main meal. And this is very Spanish at around four um, because I know that after that I'm like my energy starts to dip and also I like to eat early but also much lighter in the evening so uh, that allows me to schedule that and then like walk socializing all of that playing with my cats <laughs> that sort of thing yeah 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 I mean not every day is like that so you know there's lots of you will know as well Steve you know the behind the delivery and the design and the sexy work there's lots of admin right and I think this is one of the le lessons as well this is one of the downsides of it it's that you have to like now that you're the CTO and now you're the CMO and you know to your point earlier about strengths like I know that neither of those things are my strengths right so you know had I type do my time again I would uh I would uh definitely recommend people to to find, you know, others that can support you. For example, there are many people that are, are new in kind of social media and that they want to build their portfolio and they can do it quite cheaply and help you, you know, rather than, I mean, you know, I've got my Sleepy Armadillo Instagram site, which I did on my own. And I wish I had, you know, just found someone that could support me because it would have been a lot less painful <laughs> and more effective. A hundred percent. Like there's, there's so much of that sort of stuff. Um, and it's always, it's like an iceberg. It's like, you know, when you think about like doing something or say launching the, say the program that I'm running at the minute, you know, when you initially think of the idea, like all you see is like what's above the water. 
And then you realize when you get into it, there's like all this other stuff, you know, and it's very tedious. It's like, you know, okay, well, I, for example, I need to accept payments somehow. Okay, well, I need a Stripe account. I need like, you know, and depending on where the person is buying from, you know, there's different tax implications, right? And I need to be aware of all of those and so that I can account for that and that my accountant understands exactly how many customers are coming from each different country so that he can treat the taxes like differently. Like, that is not something that I was thinking about when I was like, I'm going to launch this program, right? <laughs> so there's like so much stuff and, and there's no one else to do it. Like, you know, I can't be like, oh, come on, intern, like go and do this thing for me. And I, you know, especially when you're running it by yourself, right? I think um, when I was thinking about your day, right? And you're talking about like following your energy. The thing that comes up for me is um, that, that that stems from like a level of self-awareness. And it's been something that's been very interesting for me. And again, to come back to the program, one of the first things I talk about is like, you know, if you, if you want to find a job that you enjoy doing, you have to be able to be introspective, figure out things like you're talking about, like your values, like your strengths, like what are you actually interested in? And what do you enjoy doing? Where do you find flow? And without the ability to actually like answer those questions, honestly, for yourself, it's very, very hard to like move forwards. And so one of, you know, as I've gone through that process over the last couple of years, one of the outcomes that I had, which was a bit unexpected, was that I started, because I started to get this self-awareness, it wasn't just for the type of job that I wanted to do. It was like, well, what sort of day do I want? Or even like, what holidays do I enjoy? Right. Rather than, I used to go on like certain holidays, like, which are fine, but like, they're just going them because like my friends would have gone on similar ones. And then I'm like, I know enough about myself to know that I actually don't enjoy that holiday. And I do enjoy this holiday. Um, or when it comes to like my day, you know, I, we so much, I have a lot of mental, I've said like my brain works in the morning and my body works in like the afternoon. So like, I don't work out in the morning, body doesn't really want to do it that much. And uh, my brain switched on to do that. And then in the afternoon, that's when I go to the gym. And, and then we come back to the idea of like control and flexibility, like, because I can set a lot of what I do myself, like I can do that. And that's one of the, that's one of the biggest things I love. Like if you force me to go to the gym, like first thing in the morning and then spend the afternoon doing like hard thinking work, like it'd be really tough. Like, and that's what, that's what I did for like so many years. Right. <laughs> um, and I was just like, we can, we can talk about this when we talk about sleep, but it's just like smashing coffees to try and wake my brain up in the afternoon to like get through um get through this um but maybe, maybe let's okay let's talk let's talk a little bit about sleep because i want to get you know the kind of um you're obviously very passionate about this i'm sure there's so much that we could talk about it i'm sure the people listening you know have heard a lot like bits and pieces about different things to do with sleep i'm sure some of them are myths some of them are valid if you were to give people like, you know, the 60 second rundown about like what's important for sleep or what, what would that, what would that be? You know, what are the main things that you need to get right if you want to have good sleep for your health and performance? Yeah. Yeah. I always get asked this question <laughs> and obviously they start off by saying it depends, but no, I mean, there are some key, um, key things that people um, should be thinking about. And I think the first one is, uh, a lot of it is rooted, by the way, in sleep biology, which most people don't even understand. We spend like one third of our lives sleeping and people don't understand 
and, and nor should they necessarily, but we don't t- tend to understand why we sleep, what generates sleep, you know, what our, what our bodies and brains do when we sleep. You know, it's not simply the absence of wakefulness. <laughs> it's actually far from it. So um, there's some really, really interesting work uh, by some some leading neuroscientists. Uh, Matt Walker is particularly um, a particular hero of mine that talks about um, why we sleep. And if anyone's interested, unless you actually have sleep problems, I would recommend reading that because it's uh, it's quite a read. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a read. Uh, but so going back to the basics, I think our bodies um, are, um, are governed by a circadian rhythm, which is like a, a master clock. And one of the things that I see, uh, and that governs, by the way, our sleep-wake cycle, digestion, body temperature, hormone release, and a whole host of other um, uh, physiological processes. And this, um, we, this body, this clock, sorry, loves consistency and regularity. And so the what I see a lot when I see my clients is that when we, we keep a they they keep a sleep diary, so I track it over a period of a couple of weeks, is that there's a lot of flip-flopping in terms of wake-up times and going to bed times. And we see this particularly on the weekends. And so what I'm not um, suggesting is everyone go to bed at 10 and wake up at six. <laughs> and that's not why I do it. I just do that naturally, personally. But being honoring your body clock. So first of all, understanding whether you are a night owl or a morning lark, whether you have a preference for those types of things. If you can adjust, and not everyone can, I understand. They have other familial commitments, work commitments. But if you can adjust your, um, your schedule a little bit to honor that, that's helpful. Um, but being as consistent as you can around uh, particularly wake-up times, that is your opportunity to reset your clock every day. So even if you've had a bad night's sleep, even if you've um, stayed out partying, getting up at the same time, uh, even on the weekends, I think is, is a perfect opportunity. And then added to that, getting some sunshine within the first hour. Um, because uh, sunshine is um, what triggers our uh, resetting of our clock. Um, and we tend to spend a lot of time indoors, right? So if you can, and that also works in cloudy days, so if you're UK or Ireland, <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's cloudy, just getting outside uh, for about 15 minutes can really help as well. So that's really the first one. That's one of the biological drivers of sleep is your circadian rhythm. So being uh, on it, understanding that and honoring that is really important. The second driver of sleep, is this uh, the right amount of detail for you? Okay. The second driver of sleep is sleep pressure, which is essentially stripped down is the more you're awake and active, the more you're likely to want to sleep. And the the way that this works is that um, it starts to get, it again, resets the morning, the time that you're awake. And what we tend to see is people... Um, going to bed prematurely to catch up on sleep, uh, whereas the sleep pressure, if you think about it as a balloon, which starts to inflate over the course of the day, uh, and you want it at its most taut before you go to sleep, if you're going to sleep prematurely because you're trying to make up for bad sleep, or if you're taking a siesta or a nap, you're essentially deflating that balloon. So again, honoring the fact that there is a 
essentially a neurotransmitter adenosine that is being released that is driving that sleep pressure and understanding that. And then I think the third one is around lifestyle. Um, so, you know, I, I don't propose that anyone gives up coffee. I love coffee. I'm an absolute coffee snob. <laughs> I take it very seriously, but I don't drink coffee after 11 uh, for the reason that it stays in your system for a very long time. Different people do metabolize it, metabolize it differently. So um, you, you may be one of those lucky people that can uh, metabolize it, but it has a half-life of um, six hours. So that means after six hours, 50% uh, of it is still in your system. So those kind of That's late crazy. afternoon coffee smashing I've heard that. <laughs> will but be but, affecting you. But that means, right, like if you have like a double espresso at like, I don't know, let's say 4 p.m., it's the same as having an espresso at 10 p.m., right? And just before you go to bed, so, which is crazy. How much, how much caffeine would you drink before 11, though? I only have, well, I've started having like a, this lovely tea in the morning. It's black tea, so it's got some caffeine. Uh, I try to delay the first coffee before uh, I do some mobility stuff in the morning just to wake my body up gently and try to delay the coffee till after the sunshine. Um, because actually, if you're doing the right things and doing some breathing and other things, not that I'm proposing that for everyone, uh, then that's almost like an espresso shot anyway. Um, but I only have two, but I mean, I've got a very good coffee machine. <laughs> They're very strong. And so, yeah, I only have two. I mean, I drink coffee sometimes when I need to, when I know I need to stay up because, you know, come 10 o'clock, I'm like a zombie. So if I know that I have to stay up for, I don't know, something, I guess, you know, if I'm meeting people after 10, which is not uncommon, I will have an, uh, like a strategic coffee <laughs> to help me. Yeah. But I know what it's doing, you know, it's, it's conscious. Yeah. I have to say, like, I've, I have taken on, I've changed a lot of my habits around sleep and especially since, you know, I used to work at McKinsey and it's been a massive game changer. You know, like I actually traveled, I traveled back from France to Australia about three and a half weeks ago. And so obviously you're jet lagged for a while and then it takes a while for like your body to get into a rhythm again. But like now I'm there and I'm waking up like naturally 10 minutes before my alarm every morning. And it feels so good. Like it feels so, so good. And like, it doesn't mean that I still don't wake up a bit tired, you know, and you have to kind of like, okay, I got to get off. I still got to get myself out of bed, right? And get in the shower. But it's in, it's somewhere, it's so different to like what I used to feel, you know? And, and, and I don't, I don't even, I don't, I have no idea how I used to get through the day. Like when I was at McKinsey, sometimes you like, you'd work like all night and you go into work and like, honestly, like sometimes like two, three hours sleep and I must have been useless. Like, well, useless. Exactly. You just have to look at the science behind it now because they've, they've done so many experiments on the cognitive impacts of not sleeping. So, I mean, it's false economy, essentially, getting people to stay and work through the night because their, their level of productivity um, and cognitive um, performance is severely declined, you know, severely declined, not to mention immune system, emotional regulation, and a whole host of other things that then, you know, like, in fact, the recent study shows that like um, sleep deprivation or sleep problems are co costing the UK economy over 44 billion pounds per year. 
And that's just in lost sleep. That's not in impacted on, you know, immune system, people getting off sick uh, more, that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a significant commercial problem, I think, not just a, you know, well-being problem. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how we, we, and sometimes, you know, sometimes people willfully de- deprive that there's, you've probably heard of this like 5am club where these people get up early and, you know, they're sort of a black belt in jujitsu by 6am 6, 6 and things like that, you know. Um, and that was me a little bit as well. I wanted to cram as much into my life as possible, not understanding the impact it was having. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a foundational, fundamental part of well-being that every part of your life will benefit from getting, a, getting, getting the sleep that you need. And everyone has different needs. Huh? So I think that's the important thing. There's no eight-hour rule or anything like that. And those needs will change over our lifespan as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a lot today about jobs, careers, you know, the businesses that you run. Um, but more and more, I'm actually, when I talk to people on this podcast, I'm interested to know, like, what do they do to find, like, joy or meaning, like, outside of work? Because what I've noticed, like, going, you know, running this divergence program is that, like, work is a big part of our lives, but certainly not all of it. And sometimes the only thing we talk about is, like, well, what do we do for work? Um, but what are some of the things that you do outside of work that bring you joy or give you kind of a sense of meaning or purpose? Yeah, good question. So for me, um, it's mostly around people, um, but not always, I think. And that has changed. I I am an extrovert, but I guess as I grow a little older, I understand I also need a lot of time on my own. So, but I think one of the most important ones is connection. So I really invest, um, I don't have um, like a direct family, so I don't have any children. Um, but like connecting on a really meaningful level, I think is consciously connecting, I think is really important for me. So having like, um, without sounding cliched, like deep and meaningful conversations, not just kind of lighthearted banter at the pub. Um, I'm going through another period and I've gone through quite a few periods of, of alcohol free. And I'm now a couple of months in of my current period, which I, think will be indefinite um and that has raised levels of consciousness um and just does so i think if anyone's interested please try it um and it just your connection is different it's so funny you say that i literally just posted a reel on instagram today from a previous podcast i did because i was talking to so many people who were trialing out going alcohol free for like you know, a month or a year or indefinitely. And I was just like, the amount of people who are doing this now and reporting like really, really strong benefits. I literally just posted this like an hour before like, you came on. <laughs> being like, this seems yeah. like a big trend right now. So it's so interesting. Yeah. That, um, you know, you're doing it too. Yeah, I think it is. And I think uh, probably uh, different generations are diff- have different, um, you know, relationships with alcohol. But yeah, I mean, God, so many learns. But the most the biggest learn is that in, in going alcohol free, you sort of return uh, to yourself, um, I think. Um, and uh, that's just scary and exciting in equal measures. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, sort of meaningful conversations. I do, as I said earlier, I do a lot of uh, movement, sport, dancing, 
um, walking. I have, um, I'm really lucky where I live. I have um, uh, like a, a national park, essentially really close to me, 10 minutes drive. And I've got quite a few friends that have dogs. I don't have a dog yet, but I will get one eventually. And so we just go on many, many uh, forest walks or beach walks and things like that. And I just think like being in nature is just so... <clears throat> It's quite challenging nowadays if we live in kind of big built up cities, but um, it's just so enriching um, and grounding for me. So I think that's really important. I, I do um, meditation and, and uh, breath work um, that stems from a, uh, a thought, a career change about five years ago, which we haven't spoken about becoming a yoga teacher. Because uh, I'd always done a lot of yoga, and through that I learned much more about breath work and the power of breath work and meditation, which I'd also been doing for some years. So those are kind of the ways that I able to um, still things, I guess, um, but also activate. So there's a kind of a, a peaceful side and activation side. Uh, but yeah, it's really through people. Um, and I, I'm interested in that sort of things. I know we need to finish up soon, but you know, this is another common trend that I think. I'm seeing a lot, which is around people's desire for for connection with primarily other people and for more of those like deeper relationships, you know, where you can have real conversations. I think there's still value in that like lighthearted, jokey conversation at the pub. But um but I think there is kind of like a craving for those like deeper, meaningful ones. Uh, like, you know, if you think about like those relationships that you have in your life with the people that you're able to have those conversations with like where did they come from were they just like you know friends that you've known for a long time or is it like a group of people like you talk a bit about a tribe and finding your tribe like what do those relations like where what's kind of the origin of those relationships yeah they're very different so i have um because uh, I've moved around a lot, I guess, uh, like I have friends from different uh, parts of my life. So some are really recent, actually. Uh, one girl in particular uh, is very recent. And actually, the ones that I it's interesting, I used to have when I was younger, I had a lot more male friends. And now I feel like I have a lot more close friends. And now I feel like I have a lot more female friends. Uh, so uh, I don't know why I haven't really kind of delved into that but so yeah I think that it doesn't it's not about like the the length of the relationship for me the biggest kind of game changer is being vulnerable so in my vulnerability or being open uh, that creates the the um, acceptance of someone else being vulnerable and then you just start to move the conversation to another level and that's not to say I sit around having meaningful conversations. There's a lot of chit chat and banter and things like that. But like, you know, you feel um, nourished by these conversations sometimes um, and that, and seen. And I think this is another part of actually um, being alcohol free is, is seeing, properly seeing and properly being seen without the you know, the coat, if you like, that alcohol does provide or the mask that it does provide. Um, and that's, you know, again, I said scary and exciting in equal measures. Uh, and there's a little bit of discomfort. Well, I say a little, a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, being okay with it, being uncomfortable, because that's part of the experience, I think. You know, we often use alcohol to take the discomfort away and, um and this is about sitting in with it. 
So, yeah, it's a different experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might have to try that myself. <laughs> I, I think I've, I've, my relationship with alcohol has, uh, has changed a lot over the years. I drink a lot less than I used to. I've never, I've never fully, you know, given it up for like an extended period. So, um, Isabel, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I learned tons of picture brain a lot, I think, and we probably could have got gone for a lot longer. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. This is, this is great. Where can, if people want to kind of, um, find you or like check out your businesses, like where, where can they go? Yeah. So, um, the first business is isabelmalinich.com. Nice and easy. That's the HR consulting and coaching practice. Um, and the second one is sleepyarmadillo.com. Um, but I can provide you both of those if you want to put those in the, in the show notes. Um, so those my website and also I have, a an Instagram page, please forgive the, how amateur it is, uh, for my sleepy armadillo, um, business as well. So I can provide that. Yeah, do. I'll put them all in the show notes. Awesome. Isabel, thank you so much. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I had with Isabel. That's all for this week. If you want more of this content, go and follow me on socials. I'll, rather than having to wait every single week to get one podcast, you can get stuff every single day if you follow me on LinkedIn, if you follow me on Instagram. So Instagram is the two roads pod. Just open up your phone, type it in there now. And similar thing on LinkedIn. Just uh, search for me, Steve Duke. You'll see me. I'll be right up there at the top and you can give me a follow and then you can see my content every single week. Otherwise, I'll see you back here next week for episode 43 of the Two Roads podcast. <laughs>